Okay, welcome back everyone to another sporting blog podcast. It's been a couple of weeks since we've managed to to get one out. Um, unfortunately, the uh, day job and my other podcast has been keeping me kind of busy. But um, that being said, um, I decided that I wasn't going to do loads of junk podcasts with rubbish guests. So um, we decided to go hunting for someone a little outside the box, um, someone from outside of the UK. We have had Australia. We've had two Australians, a New Zealander. But I don't think we've had anyone from the States yet. So I am pleased to um, say that I've got someone from the States making their uh, sporting <laughs> blog debut. I've got Hannah Hughesman with me, um, who is the mental skills coach for the Philadelphia Phillies baseball organization. Hannah, hi. How's it going? Hi, it's going good. Thanks for having me today. No problem. Now, I have just shown you a visual warning of the potential guard dog that may interrupt <laughs> podcast. Um, he often tries to get involved in the action just because he's better looking than me. Um, <laughs> Hannah, why don't you just, um, because a lot of people who listen to this podcast uh, are kind of sports generalists and probably don't know a lot of the intricacies of baseball, which we'll get into and all of that, but why don't you just do a quick intro into yourself, how you got into this role and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I am, um, you know, born and raised, played sports my whole life, have always been around sports. Um, I have a younger brother and we're super competitive. So I always knew sports was going to be um, a defining career for me. I just didn't really know to what capacity. And I played softball in college um, and um, thought I was going to be a softball coach for a while, thought I was going to be a strength and conditioning coach or a personal trainer for a while. Um, and then my senior year, so my last year of undergrad in college, I took an elective course, basically like psych 101, but sports psych 101. And right. it was sports psychology. And it was like, what is this? How have we not heard about this? How is someone not helping us with this when we're performing? And, and I knew right then and there, like, I wanted to learn everything about it and that I wanted to give that opportunity to everybody else that, because I didn't have that in my, you know, I was in my last semester. I had two or three months left and I knew I wasn't playing professional softball or anything. And so I knew that was it. And I was like, I can't believe I'm just now hearing about this. So went on, got my master's degree um, from the university of Tennessee in um, kinesiology with a concentration in sports psych and motor behavior, which is a really fancy way of saying how the mind and the body work together to produce optimal performance. And so that's what I do. I've, I've been doing it um, out, out, outside of grad school for about six years now um, and helping high-level performers and elite performers, both athletes and actors and firefighters and business executives and surgeons, all kinds of performers um, reach their fullest potential by working on the mental aspects of their game instead of just working on the physical aspects. So that's what I do every day. Okay, so it's super cool. Um, now, in, in the UK especially, the, the phrase or the term sports psychologist has been banded around in sports for probably maybe 30, 40 years. There was a book written in the 60s called The Inner Game of Tennis, which really started yeah. to focus on um, the, the psychology of, you know, one person versus a ball, essentially, or yeah. you, you versus you, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think that it was really um, taken 
truly seriously until we also made the leap in nutritional science and that sort of thing. And I think when in the UK anyway, when this all started to come together, we got away from the days of amateurism and players still drinking and all of that kind of stuff and moved into what you know we call the kind of professional era, which really is only about 20 years old in the UK, really. When people started taking things a lot more seriously. How, how long do you think um, US professional and, and college sport, let's, let's look at both, have, have taken the mental side of, of the game to what you, know, you would say a serious degree? Yeah, um, I'd say it's similar. I'd say it's kind of always been around, you know, 40-ish plus years. It's been around and, and books started coming out and, you know, there's this sports psychology guru here and this mental coach here and, um, but not taken super seriously. And I, I'd be willing to bet probably in the last 10 to 15 years, has it really started to make headway? And, you know, now every major league baseball team or organization has mental skills coaches. Um, and I actually think they have to, and they also have to have mental health people, right? So they have, um, either they have people on staff or they have people that they refer out to, to make sure their mental health is taken care of too. So, but I would even say that's within the last five years. Um, because when I graduated from grad school, there wasn't a ton of opportunities. Like I got an internship that was the only internship available in that time in, in major league baseball. And now every year there's internships across all 30 teams, right? All 32 teams. So it's like, it's, it's already growing significantly. So I think we're in a good place, but I, it's pretty similar to UK. I mean, it's kind of always been around, but really taken seriously. I'd say probably in the last five to 10 years. And, and especially with career, like I think you can judge that based off of job opportunities and, yeah. and numbers available to even have this position. And I think that's grown significantly in the last five years. The interesting, well, one of many interesting bits for me is, um, so baseball and um, our equivalent game cricket have, have, been mentioned in similar terms in that it's an individual action played within a team setting so bat versus ball essentially um you're kind of on your own one against one etc etc when we're going to get on to baseball specifically with regards to to mental skills and and practice but do you think that that sports like let's say american football nfl or college american football and, and, and our equivalent of football always have been about kind of grit, determination, who runs the hardest, who hits the hardest, who can just get back up after a, a, you know, it's almost like from a young age, you're taught to just keep getting up. And that's how, that's the mental strength of the game. Whereas in a game like baseball or cricket, one mistake, you're done. Or in baseball terms, you don't get many chances because you don't hit the ball that often. Do you think that the, that it's taken longer for kind of team sports to embrace this as opposed to golf and tennis and all the other ones, which are kind of about the mental battle with yourself. Yeah, I do. And I still, I still think that's a growing battle, right? Because I think a mentality for a football team, right? Where it's like, Rah, like attack, like that's all you do is attacking is completely different than, you know, maybe the baseball mentality is more of a calm and collected and what can I control? And you have more time to think where it's not just like, this motivational, you know, burst of testosterone or burst of energy, it's actually like that could be more damaging than helpful. Yeah. And so I think, I think in the, um, I think it's actually grows faster in the individual sports, but also in the like baseball sports um, and, and sports where it's like less like 
raw and like attack and fast like pace um just because i think you have more time to think and i think you have more time to kind of get in your own way and that's why it's more accepted whereas football it's like okay you make a bad play but in like 15 30 seconds like you got to tackle this guy like you don't have a chance to like let that carry over and so i do think it's two totally different mentalities so um i think i do think i mean baseball is probably leading as far as mental skills coaches go in professional sports like i don't think every single team in the nfl or nba or nhl has them i think it's growing and quickly but mlb is like definitely leading that yeah, and I think the, the phrase you use there is the time to think. So, of course, uh, for, for those listeners who are not super familiar with baseball, there's a sort of famous quote or, or suggestion. A couple of players have said this, including Mickey Mantle and others, that even the very best players, even on their best day, only hit the ball 30% of the time. And that's doing really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a crazy, it's a crazy stat to think that even the, to be the best in the game you're hitting the ball around 30% of the time successfully into in, in, in play. And from a mental point of view, that doesn't leave a lot of margin for sitting on the bench in the dugout feeling good or bad, right? Because most of the time you're going to feel like shit. And then the rest of the time you're, you're hoping that you do better the next. Um, and we have this in cricket too. Once you're in cricket, once you're out, you're out. You don't get another chance. That's it. You're done. And then you've got the rest of the day to sit there when everyone else is playing and you're just sitting watching. Let's just focus on baseball and, and what you do for that side of it. How much of it is about living in the moment and how much of it is about appreciating that there will be another moment? Yeah, so I'd say majority of what I teach is about being in the present moment because you know research and everything shows us that we perform our best when our mind is in, in the present moment. Um, and you know, I have this fun analogy where it's like, you know, your mind can be in the past and the future and in the present and your body can only be in the present moment. And so it's, it's, you need your mind and your body to work together to produce optimal performance. And so the only place we can do that is in the present moment. So um, I am a huge advocate for getting into the present moment um, while also remembering not to evaluate yourself too much during the actual baseball game, but like, you know, save the evaluation for after, whether it's after the at bat and you're in the dugout and you have a couple of minutes to like kind of evaluate what went wrong, make an adjustment and on to the next one um, and making sure it doesn't cross over into feel, into the fielding. So when you're playing defense, your offense isn't affecting your defense and vice versa. Um, but also save the big time evaluations for after the game. Like there's no major huge correction that you're going to make right now. That's going to all of a sudden change you from the player you are right now to this magnificent, great person that you want to be like right now there's nothing you can do like you have to and this is where we talk about trusting your training and knowing that you've done everything you can to prepare and that comes back from preparation and making sure you're doing all the right things that in this very moment the only thing you can do is trust and compete and and give it your best and that's your best that day and maybe it's maybe it actually is your best and maybe it's nowhere close to your best but that's what we have today and so we're going to make the most of whatever we have today and and so I'd say even talking about moving on from the present, we talk about being in the present. So um, that, that's definitely a huge focus in what we do. Yeah, and I think the, the reference you make to preparation is something that, you know, if, you, if you're anyone that follows any athlete, male or female on Instagram now, Christ, you have it banged into you every day that it's all <laughs> about the preparation and putting in the work and the grind and you think these people are building houses, you know, of course they're building their bodies and mental fortitude, right? But mm-hmm we get the sentiment that you can't really do your best on game day 
if you haven't done your your best how much of it when when you're let's say you're you're going through things with someone who's having a rough time or or not playing as well as they could how much of it comes down to the fact that you're letting them know that physically they're prepared as you said there's not much you can do on the game day your practice has been good so now you're in the moment how much of it how how easy is it to to sort of persuade or convince someone that they're prepared if they're having a bit of a rough time or they're having a bad run can you can you get into relying on you know rely on your training you know and all that stuff or is that you know one of the harder things to do yeah um i think it is difficult to do because exactly what you were talking about earlier is the hardest part about baseball and maybe even about life is you can prepare perfectly you can do everything right you can eat right you can sleep right you can lift right you can rest right everything and still fail like in baseball you you literally will fail you'll do everything right and, and still fail and so it's like making sure we're not putting too much emphasis on the outcome and making sure that and that's why i say you know all of the work i do with mental skills nothing's going to guarantee success right just like you said 30 percent chance of success if you're really good on a good day and so nothing's guaranteeing success but what we can guarantee is by doing all of those things by preparing physically mentally emotionally spiritually however you prepare you're at least setting yourself up for the highest chance of success yeah so when success does come your way you can you can destroy it you can crush it you can be ready you can take advantage of that one pitch of that one play of that one moment where maybe if you hadn't done one of those things, your chances of failing are even higher. And so we just, we talk and, and like in baseball, you do everything right and still fail. And you do the same thing the next day and have a great day. And it's like, well, what the hell? Like, what's the difference? Nothing. Keep doing the same thing. That's, but it's so funny because we get so frustrated with failure, but I also think that's the reason they love the game so much because when you are successful, the reason you're excited about being successful is because you were supposed to fail. Yeah. The odds were against you and you're so excited because you didn't fail. Whereas mm -hmm. like if it was just every time you played, it was a shoe in and super easy and a breeze and you hit a home run every time. Like everyone's like, that would be boring. Like we would hate it. And you're like, exactly. So be careful letting the frustration of failure overtake the enjoyment of success, I guess. And, yeah. and really making sure like, the reason you love this so much is actually because of the failure. And like, that's mind blowing to some people. They're like, wait, what? Like, you're right. But like, I don't want to admit that, but it, it is, it's the chance of failure that is exciting and why we love succeeding so much. So. I mean, that's, that's true in a lot of sports that, that are about fine margins. I mean, if golf wasn't such a difficult game to be good at, <laughs> yeah. it's not difficult to hit a golf ball, but it's <laughs> yeah. difficult to be good. And then it's yeah. really, really difficult to be excellent. Mm -hmm. But it, it's, it's the, the, the fear of failure or, or the margin of excellence is the motivator, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you work with one of, the, one of the most high profile hitters in baseball, Bryce Harper. The guy must have, you know, over the course of, of a 160 odd game season, must have the ball robbed at the wall four or five times. You couldn't have hit the ball any better. You've picked <laughs> the pitch and then someone jumps. Mookie Betts jumps out of nowhere and plucks one. Mm -hmm. And then you got to go back and sit down and think, well, I've done everything right. <laughs> but exactly. just, yeah. But and if, what do you do? Yeah. But you do I, it again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, one thing I put on our show notes actually was, and this comes on to the compartmentalization. I mean, 
I found that like as a tennis person, like it just amazes me how these guys can literally one point finished, next point finished. How much of that comes into to your work with uh, with baseball players? How do you how do you get rid of the the negative thought prior and just get on to the thought of of what's coming next? How do you live yeah. in, in that box? Yeah, it's a it's a huge box um, to live in and out of and. The hardest part of this, about this question and about most questions with mental skills is there's no one way to do it, right? What, what works for you may be great and, and like create your best optimal self, but it may destroy me, right? If, if, if I say, well, fuck off, like maybe that works for you, but it doesn't work for me, right? Like, no, that doesn't give me a chance to think about it, analyze it. And so it's really figuring out what works for everybody. But one of, one of my favorite analogies to use when I'm playing in baseball, so there's a box, like a literal white chalk box, when, and they step into the box and they're ready to hit. And when you're outside of the box, the pitcher can't pitch the ball yet. You have to be set and ready. Hand can even be up telling um, time. And then once it's down, like now you're ready. And so we actually call it like a play box. Like it's, it's called the box, right? Get into the box, but we call it play box. And then think box, which think box is when you're outside of the box. So you basically step out of the box, think about your approach, think about your reaction to your last pitch or last at bat. Think about whatever you want to think about. Think about the mentality you want to have coming into it. And then once you get into play box, it's total compete mode. It's okay, find an external cue, find the ball, find the pitcher's hand, find whatever, but we're going to find something to where we're not overanalyzing and overthinking when we're supposed to be doing and we're supposed to be competing. But we can't just not think and just compete. So it's almost allowing yourself to compartmentalize, okay, over here, we're thinking and we're processing and we're evaluating and we're planning. And then we take one step, literally three inches in, and now we're competing. But instead of trying to do competing and thinking simultaneously, and then we freeze or we become a robot or we like swing at some, or we're overly aggressive, right? We're out of control because there's too much going on upstairs. And so it's really making sure when I'm doing this, I'm thinking when I'm doing this, I'm competing and knowing how to turn that switch on and off is a huge mental skill. And potentially one of the most challenging parts is because we know what we're supposed to be thinking or we should, and we know when we're supposed to be thinking it, but actually doing it and implementing it. And honestly, remembering to do it is some of the hardest parts, especially under high stress, high tension situations in a game where we're just trying to do everything right. It's like, oh shoot, all of a sudden we've got a hundred thoughts up here instead of one or two. And so it, it, it's definitely challenging. That's fascinating that, you know, taking a visual clue, clue uh, I mean, we, there's this ridiculous phrase in, in uh, football over here, which is like, once we cross the white line, you know, my mindset changes once we cross the white line, like there's some sort of, you know, you're going through some sort of force field that turns you into this, you know, your mental yeah. switch just goes. I mean, I, I know it's yeah. an analogy, but um, what's really interesting, I suppose, and, and makes it even harder with baseball is just the sheer number of games and the, the, the amount, you know, those visual cues for, for um, a football player over here who plays once a week, maybe twice. You know, that's, you've got a whole week to mentally prepare. Then you've got 90 minutes of action all at once. I mean, sometimes in baseball, you guys are playing two matches in one day. So how, how by the, you know, if you've had three or four at-bats in the first game and then there's like a turnaround the second game and you're trying to take those visual cues to be really like in the moment again, I mean, it must be hard, especially when you played yesterday, you're playing tomorrow, you're in the hotel yeah. tonight, you know, uh, you're, you're yeah. missing people. How, how much does... Does your work involve, you know, the, not, uh, you, you spoke earlier about mental health, like professionals as well. 
mm-hmm. how much of, of what you do sort of takes on the holistic environment that the guys uh, are in every day as well as, you know, yeah. things we can practice. These are things you can't legislate for, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a huge piece. It's a huge piece of what I do. And, you know, it's, it's funny because I, you're right. And I love that you distinguish there's, there's a difference between mental health and mental performance, right? So I'm a mental performance coach, sports psych consultant, right? Whereas the clinical psychologist, right? Mental health is, is anxiety, clinical anxiety, depression, suicidality, eating disorders, things like that where ours is specifically on field based performance, mental issues, right? Confidence, composure, resiliency, motivation, enjoyment, things like that. Um, But with that comes knowing like to figure out what motivates you. I have to know who you are as a person to figure out what builds your confidence. I can't just know who you are as a baseball player or a performer. I have to know who you are as a person. I have to know what triggers you, what makes you mad, what fires you up, like what's your optimal zone of functioning. And so that comes with this holistic picture. And it's funny when you think about, you know, a doubleheader one day and a game before and the game the next day, what comes to my mind is making sure you're getting adequate rest and not just at night, but during the game, right? Like a game can last anywhere from two and a half to five hours, you know, on a, on a bad day, right? It can last forever. And so it's making sure just because the game lasts that long, it doesn't mean you have to mentally be on that entire time. There are plenty of breaks throughout a baseball game and it's making sure you're acknowledging the breaks and taking full advantage of those breaks. So in between innings, when you're running out, it's like, you know, you have five, 10 minutes in between each inning, take a breather, let go, sing a song in your head. Think about anything else, right? You don't have to be locked in and queued up every second of every game. And in fact, I would highly discourage it just because, I mean, you can't even stay locked in for like 20 minutes in a conversation, let alone two plus hours. Right. (laughs) And so it's like, instead of trying to fight that, like, no, clock in, clock out, clock in, clock out, clock in, clock out the the entire game. And that's going to help you just feel like you can still go. You can still like, you can stretch out that mental on versus trying to be on too much, too long for for too many days in a row. I mean, that's, it's one of the most challenging pieces, but I think that goes with the holistic picture is knowing how much you can handle and how you do need, how much do you need to turn it off and how much do you need to turn it on? Like, are you turning it on too much? Is it off too much? Right. Do we need to like fire you up a little bit and do certain things? So it, it definitely crosses over into the holistic viewpoint. And then we're also as mental performance coaches, we're trained to notice, okay, you're having some like nerve issues on the field but it may turn into clinical anxiety and where it's like debilitating and you don't even want to get out of bed in the mornings and you don't even want to come to the field. And that's when, you know, there's certain flags and cues that we are trained to notice where we make sure they're getting all the help that they need. And we, you know, get mental health, get, get whoever we need to get in to make sure every single need of that player is met, um, whether we can do it or not. Um, but making sure we are at least that liaison to get whatever help that they need. Because sometimes we're the only person on the org who they trust and want to come talk to and, and be vulnerable with and say things that they wouldn't tell anybody else. So it's a big piece of our job. Yeah, and I can understand that. I mean, um, probably above all other U.S. professional sports, you know, baseball has always come across as the game of confidence, right? If you're the ace pitcher, you're the best pitcher, you're the, you can throw the ball the hardest, whatever. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's the persona. If you're a designated hitter, you're there to hit the ball out of the park and that's your persona. So confidence is, you know, maybe boxing is something similar where they're just always talking themselves up, 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 up. Very hard, I guess, for a baseball player to turn around and say, actually, do you know what? I'm really not feeling so good today. Um, and, you know, that's, 
that's part of the environment I think that a lot of professional sports are going through. So on the, on the basis of assessment, I just sort of interested to see um, one of the things that US sports does way, 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 way better than we do is, is bringing younger players through into, into the pro ranks at the right time, I believe. You know, in, in football over here, kids start way too young. They, they leave school, they go to academies, they whatever. Mm-hmm. For the most part in the States, you'll go through the college route apart from the odd uh, exceptional player. Mm-hmm. Uh, what level do you think that, let's say, an organization like the Phillies would start looking at the assessment of how good someone is mentally at the game? How big a part of it is it... A, in comparison to all of the other traditional tools, as one might describe in baseball, has it, is it becoming more important or has it always been important? Um, I, think, I think to some level it's always been important, but I think nowadays we have more tools that measure it. And, you know, obviously like measuring, how do you measure confidence? How do you measure resiliency, right? Because it looks different in every person. Just are we going to measure confidence by who's the loudest on the field, right? No, you can be the loudest and be dying on the inside, you know? And so it's like really, it's hard to measure. It's an intangible. And so that's, that's, I think what's made it so hard, but there are a few assessments out there and a lot of teams, you know, go and travel. And like, if you were going to be a minor league player for us, or we were considering drafting you, we could even come to you and, and have a conversation with you and, and kind of make an assessment ourselves. Like, how motivated is this kid? How resilient is this kid? Has this kid ever failed before? Um, so, so there's all kinds of techniques, but I think they're starting to realize that it is a crucial part of the recruiting process and the scouting process. It's just really hard to measure. And so, I mean, if you went and asked all, all the teams in, in Major League Baseball, they probably all have different ways of how they do it. But it, it goes from assessments that people have created. It goes from assessments that have been created and are online that are free. It goes from scientific studies that have been done um and and again just like normal conversations to figure out where we think you know and and almost creating your own scale or ranking of where we think they are on a mental toughness scale and and that definition of mental toughness is like totally subjective to whoever's giving the assessment right and so it's it, it there's a lot there's a lot that goes into it and and it's challenging when you give assessments because anybody can just write like what they think all the right answers should be and, and so it's it's challenging to measure it, but I do think it's starting to get thrown into the mix. It's just a matter of how reliable it actually is. And, and I think that varies on every single team on every organization. So it's tough. It's tough, but I don't think it's going ignored. So do you find that, do you find that with the younger guys, let's say maybe people that have come up from a ball into the, the major leagues or are, are flirting between the two, do you find their confidence is, is something that gets knocked quicker than experienced players because they still don't know if they've made it yet or they know they're kind of under assessment? Because, again, for listeners that don't know, like you, if you're young in baseball, like you're getting cut fast if you don't do well. And it's a grind to get into the major league in the first place. But if you don't really perform that well, you're out pretty soon. So do you find that, you know, naturally they're a bit more nervous because they know that they're being watched you know as opposed to someone in their late 20s or early 30s who's like you know finally made it and is unlikely to be cut yeah yeah I I definitely think that's a part of it I think 
I think one of the most challenging pieces is you, there, you know, you go from being the stud high school athlete that you've always been or the stud college athlete that you've always been. And then you get to this professional baseball world where everybody is really good or majority of people are really, really good. And so now all of a sudden you're just another kid out there with a, with a uniform on. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so you're, you're trying to stand out. You may be trying too hard. You may be afraid of failure because you're, you're afraid you're going to get cut or maybe you've never really even failed before. Right. People mm. don't think about that, but like these guys are like killer, especially high school guys. Like you're a stud in high school and then you get drafted and you're 18 years old and you've literally never failed. And yeah. then you come here and you fall straight on your face. Right. And, and so it's, it's actually just like teaching like basic resiliency skills on how do you overcome these things? How do you, again, going back to the very first thing you said, like, how do you be okay with failing majority of your career and still being the best? Like, are you okay with that? How do you accept that? Um, and, and it's almost a total shift of mentality because they've never really had to work on their mental game before because it's always been good. If they're performing good, the mind's good. Mm. But when you're performing poorly is when the mind goes and it's like, okay, how do we, now we have to start talking about mental toughness because you're not always going to perform great and perfectly and like an all-star like you want to. And, and what's going to keep you sane and keep you motivated and keep you moving forward and growing is the mental aspects of your game, not the physical aspect. Because the physical, the physical aspects of your game are technically failing you right now. Your physical aspects are not as good as you want them to be, and you're failing. So what can help you? What is going to force you to keep going, to keep trying to, to keep failing and being okay with that? And it's the mental side of the game. And so yeah. that's a big piece for the new guys, for sure. Yeah, I think we've, we've seen from um, Netflix documentaries like Lance Char Last Chance You and others, the number yeah. of kids that come up as, as you say, the stud or the gun, and all of a sudden they're in a room with everyone else and they're all guns from their various God knows what part of the country, you know, where there's 10 mm -hmm. people in one town and whatever, and all of a sudden they come together and, and you are not the alpha dog anymore. Uh, and that must be really hard though. It must be really hard mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. part of your, part of those people's skill set and part of their mental strength has always been knowing that they're the best so they can deliver on the game day. And all of a sudden you come into a world where there's lots of other dogs at the, you know, at the feeding mm -hmm. bowl and uh, <laughs> you're not number one anymore. Um, yeah. What's your experience been with, with young players that come with a huge amount of hype or, or and let's also say not just a lot of hype, but, a big paycheck and therefore the, the organization is putting a lot of responsibility on people to deliver on this guy that they've taken a gamble on. Yeah, it's, I, lo I love that question because so it's my job to normalize every single person there and to treat them as a human being and to take out how much money you got to take out how much pressure the organization is putting on you. But it is a different mentality because you know, they come in and, and sometimes like it, it, again, it varies with each person, right? One year, the first round pick could come in and be like, hell yeah, I'm here for a reason. Like, what's up bitches, you know? And it's like, whoa, okay. Like maybe we need to talk about some humility, work on that a little bit. But then you have guys who come in and are the first round pick and are petrified because now they're like, okay, I was the first round pick. They have really high expectations for me. Like I can't fail. Like, I can't let them down. They're paying me this much money. Like they have all like, and all of a sudden day one, before they even get there, they're putting added pressure and added stress on their performance. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's a lot of really trying to figure, meet them where they're at, wherever they're at, however they're accepting and handling what was given to them and then uh, training them just like everybody else. But they may have a couple of things. It's just like, it's just like also drafting non-drafted free agents, right? They come in and they're like, Hey, I don't, I don't know if they even really care about me. I didn't get a lot of money. So like, 
one of them, some of them come in, they're like, I've got nothing to lose. And other of them come in and they're like, I'm fighting to prove, right. And they're putting more stress on themselves because now they have to prove. And so it's, it's funny to see guys in like polar opposite positions having mm. similar mentality challenges, just different ways of viewing it and different ways of handling it. And so it's, it's, it's funny because it's, I don't treat anybody differently, obviously from first pick to last pick. I don't care. Um, I'm here to help you and support you in whatever ways and, and figure out what is going to get in your way and what's going to help you and make sure the things that are helping you are outweighing the things that get in your way. Um, because regardless of who you are, there's, we all have our pitfalls. We all have our things that are going to get in our way and push us back and maybe even stop us dead in our tracks. And it's up to, to me and mental skills coaches and the players to figure out how do we get through this, whatever it is, how do we make this help us instead of hurt us is, is something I talk about a lot. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really unique. Everybody has a different mindset. Exactly. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you come in. Like it's, it's incredibly challenging, but the most fun aspect of my job is it's all unique and similar techniques, but maybe the slightest difference. And that's mm. what changed from this guy to that guy. And, and it's no cookie cutter approach. Like you can't just keep saying the same thing over and over to the same people yeah. or to different people. It's not going to work. So Okay, you talk about normalizing the, the person and the situation, yeah. which I really like. But yeah. one, one thing that I've been fascinated with in all professional sport, but in some ways baseball kind of more than others, is, is the, the approach of, of non-native Americans, if you like. So mm -hmm. again, for listeners that don't know, there are a lot of baseball players that come from places like the Dominican Republic and Venezuela mm -hmm. and, and, mm -hmm. and other places like that in South America and, the, and Caribbean islands and so on, who come with a completely different culture and mindset. And I imagine, and this is only an anecdotal thing, but I imagine there are some that come again with a fair amount of confidence, but also quite the opposite, not being able to mm -hmm. speak the language, being away from home, all of a sudden, maybe having a lot of money, not quite knowing how to deal with that, which, you know, most mm -hmm. professional sports have, have similar stories. Do those guys, especially with the language and mental approach, is that a completely different way you have to you have to treat those guys? Or again, do you just take it on a case by case basis? Because presumably some of the practice that you the, the, the off field work that you ask your players to do is going to be different um, from one person to the next, especially if there's a language difference. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. So it's 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 very different. Um Again, I think the best way to describe it is meeting them where they're at, right? And, and some of these Dominican players don't have a high school diploma, don't have, you know, got out of school at sixth or seventh grade. And so it's also meeting them where they're at on an intellectual level too, right? So we're not going to go in and start talking about self-fulfilling prophecy and, <laughs> and um, imagery when, when we don't even know, like, how to form, you know, normal daily routines. And so we'll try to, like, really implement, like, basic needs and, and meet them where they're at, like, how to set a routine, how to set priorities, how to do time management, right? That aren't necessarily mental skills, but they're the foundational blocks to achieving mental skills, right? You can't have a solid game day routine if you don't have like a morning routine, like brush your teeth, wash your face, listen to music, whatever you're like, whatever you're doing, make sure you're at the field on time. And so it's also a huge culture shock. And so we have like within the Phillies organization and within, I think all major league baseball organizations, there's, there's cultural teachers, there's um, we have a director of cultural assimilation with us and she's awesome. And she basically makes help, gets them in English classes, right? Teaching them the language, teaching them different things. That, like you can't do this in the culture. Like you can't just throw trash out your window going down a highway in the U S where you could do that in the Dominican or something like that. Right. Like 
the violence is different here. Like you can't just do certain things that you would do at home because that's, you're just, you're going to get in trouble here. You're like yeah. straightforward. And so it's, it's a big piece of meeting them where they're at. And some of them are incredibly smart and they come over, they already know English, like their parents instilled that in them. They graduated high school and mom's a psychologist. And so we're like jumping right into like practicing mindfulness, you know? So it, it's really, it's definitely an as needed basis, but it's, it's really actually starting them on a, like, what do you need to survive basis? Like what are basic human things that maybe we're taught from a very young age in the States and, and that they're just like not taught yet. And so it's, it's making sure we're meeting them where they're at, helping them to have this transition as smooth as possible because it's a lot more challenging than people think. I mean, even coming down to the food, right? Yeah. They're like, what is this food? Like the only thing they recognize is McDonald's, you know? And it's like, okay, like let's work on that. And, and so it's, it's definitely challenging, but they're open to it and they try and they work their butts off and we try hard too. And it's sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And we're kind of constantly evolving, trying to make that as smooth as possible. But it does take a while to like kind of get to that point to where we can really dive in on mental skills, but it, it's more, that's more based on like, let's build this relationship. So as you continue to grow and get better and, and get familiar with the culture, when you're ready to like really jump into mental skills, we've already built this relationship and you're talking to us all the time. And now we can jump straight into mental skills instead of avoiding that conversation for three years. Finally, they, they're ready to get it, but we don't have a relationship with them. Right. That's a huge piece in, in, in our world is, is making sure we create that, that safe haven, that, that relationship, that vulnerable, trustworthy place where they can come talk to us regardless of the situation or circumstances. And do you feel that you need that? One of the things I put in the notes to you is about how mental strength on the field doesn't always mean mental strength off of it. Yeah. Do you need like for your job and in, in, in order to evaluate your own success, do you need a player to have some stability as you say routine? Like if you have Dennis Rodman, for example, and the guy's <laughs> like pulling out amazing stats every day, but you know, he's off to Vegas that night, but kind of, he has that unique, <laughs> way about him um but if someone's not performing but you also know they're not kind of doing the stuff off the field mm -hmm. that you need them to do where i, I suppose there's a, a mixture here of getting all sorts of different coaches involved and identifying a problem but how much of that is important because you can't really work with a broken asset right you need them to be ready to take in what you're saying yeah yeah and i, I you know i've heard some crazy stuff and if it's working for you like I probably am not going to, I mean, I'll challenge you and be like, that's not really what I would recommend, but if it's working for you, okay, we'll see how long it's going to work for you. Um, but here's my warning. It might not last forever. That may not work forever, but it, it is, it is important that they have a general idea of what they're doing off the field, because if they can't figure out what's going on, like wrong on the field, chances are it's something they're doing off the field. And, and so it, it's usually not too bad of a conversation. Like, and they're, they're very honest. They're like, yeah, you know, like I drank too much last night or I did this, or I know I'm not, I'm staying up late playing video games or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And, and it's like, okay, like, can we make a small adjustment there? Like, can we go to bed an hour earlier just so you're not waking up so groggy and like feeling like shit the next day. And they're like, mm. Oh, and I'm like, come on, it's your career. <laughs> like you have to hold yourself accountable at some point. It's funny. Cause it's almost like a, a glorified mom position. Sometimes it's like holding them accountable because they're not telling anybody else this, but they're telling us. And so we're like, Hey, is that the best thing you can do for your career? Is this yeah. the most important thing for you? And so a lot of our job is challenging them. It's holding them accountable because they're telling us things that they don't tell anybody else. And it's like, Hey, 
is that the best thing you could be doing for your career? And they're like, no, no chance. They know it, but it's making, it's, it's like they know it, but they're not realizing it. And so it's our job to help them realize it kind of back channel and get them to be like, oh, he's like, that's not great, is it? And I'm like, do you think it's great? And they're like, no. And you're like, okay, what are you going to do? You know, it's like making like them come up with the idea themselves is incredibly powerful. It's motivational interviewing 101. So pretty cool. Yeah, there's two, two football managers here, probably the most famous of all. So Alex Ferguson always tried to get his players married off as early as possible. And the point was that, you know, the idea is if you're married, you're going home, you're having kids and all of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Quiet life off, off the pitch means a productive life on it. And another oh reasonably gosh. well-known uh, manager was a guy called Harry Redknapp, who's a bit of an old school dinosaur. But one thing he was ahead of the game um, compared to others was, was with the drinking. And he said to most of his players, if you can't not drink for 10 years, because that's all you've got, you know, maximum, you've got 10 years to do this. If you can't not drink during the season for 10 years, then I don't think you're going to be able to take in what I'm trying to tell you every day. Because if you can't make this basic sacrifice on one mental level, how am I going to expect you to make a sacrifice on a, on a different level? And mm -hmm. it's, it's fascinated me with my own sporting performance. You know, some days, as you say, you're locked in. But, you know, when your life's calm, when everything's going okay, there's no drama, whatever, <laughs> you're much more receptive to this stuff than if you live in the chaos, right? I mean, and <clears throat> as you said, there's a lot of people that if it works for you, I mean, who, who knew like what would go through Manny Ramirez's head or, or someone yeah. like that, you know, and, and it works for them. But there's plenty of others that I guess need the structure and everything. How much structure do you put in place for yourself? You're the mental skills coach. How does the mental skills coach stay on top of her own mental skills you're, you said to me just before we started recording, you're traveling 95% of the time during season. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, do you ever get back to your hotel room and just like shout or scream? <laughs> or do you, <laughs> or do, you, do you practice what you preach yourself? Yeah. Yeah. So it's quite the opposite of shouting and screaming. I actually like, I have to strive for alone time and quiet and like stillness because so my job is like constantly being on, right? We talked about being in the present moment and how you're your best self when you're in the present moment. Well, to fully support somebody and hear somebody and meet them where they're at and all of these things that we've talked about, like I have to be in this very moment. In order for me to be my best and to practice empathy and support you and challenge you, I have to be listening to you. I have to be processing my thoughts while processing your thoughts, while trying to figure out what are you really trying to say that you may not even be able to say, but I'm trying to figure that out. So it's, it's so much thinking and going constantly from phone call to phone call to meeting to meeting that by the end of the day, like I am brain fried mm. and, and I used to read a book and then I would start reading this book and be like, Oh, I could use this in, in the play. Like, and then, so I'm still going right. Brain is still on or like I watch a movie and I'm like, Oh my God, I could use this as an analogy in my next presentation. It's like still going, like it's not turning off. And so, Something that I do is I try to put my phone down and either like go on a walk or take a bath or drink some wine or watch like mindless TV, like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. I hate the show, but I love the show because I don't have to think about anything when I'm watching it. And it's like, mm. it's a way for me to turn my brain on it. I call it mindless TV. And, and so it's that, that's it for me. It, it's really making sure. And if I don't do that, like I can tell the next day, like I'm like, halfway through the day, I'm like, oh my God, like I am drained. It is taking every ounce of my being to stay in this very moment. And so I really, it, it's kind of like what we were talking about, turning it off, turning it on. I have to know, and I have to make sure I'm turning it off at least, 
at least for like 30 minutes to ideally an hour a day. But you know, I get it. It doesn't always work and, and doesn't always happen that way. And usually when I turn it off for 30 minutes, I'm passed out asleep. So, um, but it, that's, that's what I try to do. Try to, try to shut it down, do some mindfulness, just be quiet. It's not easy if you're someone that, that gets a lot of inspiration from a lot of things. I know this is my <laughs> yeah. life. I'm the same. And yeah. you know, um, in my professional career, I work in horse racing. Um, and you know, that's a fairly immersive, um, business to be in, but running this blog and, um, all of this sort of stuff, like everything I watch, even if I'm watching like sport for enjoyment, I start thinking about something I can do with that. Everything I watch on Netflix that is anyway sport related will, will result in me emailing someone for a podcast <laughs> or an interview. And I think you're right. Yeah. And it's funny. I've never really, know, really noticed this consciously until you've just said it, but I watch a lot of cooking programs. And I think that's because like, it's just like, yeah, right. And I can kind of get lost in this sort of yes. weird ASMR-y type thing where <laughs> I'm watching someone stir a bowl of something. And for once, I'm not thinking that's going to make me want to like create some output. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There you go. There and you do go. you think the players have this sort of stuff? Because you mentioned video games there. There was a famous incident about yeah. 20 years ago in Premiership football where one of the country's more successful goalkeepers at the time had a bad game in the Premiership. I can't remember what happened. And afterwards in the interview, he kind of made a, a semi-serious joke saying he'd stayed up too late playing PlayStation. And it became a bit of a buzzword around football for a long time that, well, if you're up playing video games, then you're not concentrating on what you're supposed to be doing. How do you, I mean, this is again coming off the field, but it's all part of the thing. Yeah. How do you encourage these guys to relax? I mean, in the old days, they'd go to the bar and get completely hammered and yep. lots of girls <laughs> and all of that. That's yeah. not as easy these days, right? So what's, yeah. the, what's the relaxation and the rest? Yeah. Especially it's, on the road. Yeah, it's incredibly challenging. And, and, you know, I'm not the biggest supporter of video games or Netflix, but also if that's a way for you to shut off. So, so it's a balance, right? Because I am a firm believer that if you're baseball 24 seven or anything 24 seven, like it's going to lead to burnout. You're going to be freaking, if you do anything 24 seven, it's, you're like, after a week, you're like, I'm over it. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. I, if you're with someone 24 seven for a week, you're like, I need some, even your best friend, your significant other, even your dog for 24 seven, you're like, holy shit, I need space. And so yeah. to me, the same applies with what you're doing. And so the biggest piece for me for balance is getting outside of baseball. I truly don't give a shit what you do, but do anything but baseball. Like don't go home and watch your game film, then watch an MLB game, then pull your game film back up, then journal about your performance and then go to sleep. Like, please don't spend the three hours you have at night in, in baseball or wake up and the six hours you have before you have to be at the field, you're in baseball mode, right? Five, 10, 30 minutes here and there are fine. But I, so I'm like, I'm pretty open to honestly anything that will get your mind off of baseball. Now, again, I don't think that should be five hours of just mindless video games, right? I, I think it's a great escape. But if you really talk to players about why they're playing video games, most of the time it's to connect with their friends back home yeah, and stay connected. And so like, I'm like, that's great to me. You're fueling, you're, like, you're, you're, you're staying connected with guys. You're doing something fun. You're not thinking about baseball. So at, at minimal levels, I'm okay with that when it reaches too much and you're like, now you're losing sleep or it's creating anger and frustration and more tension in your life, then I think we need to shift into something else. And so we, we books, we love giving them books. If they're open to reading, we'll like dive in. A lot of them aren't, which is fine. I get it. Um, we've given out puzzles before and they're like puzzles. And I'm like, just try it. And next thing you know, it takes them a month to finish this puzzle and they love it. 
Yeah. Right. They freaking love it. And, and get on a series and, and have a chat about a certain series, like watch one episode a night. Don't binge watch eight episodes a night. Watch one, come in the next morning and talk about it with your teammates. What'd y'all watch? What'd y'all see? What do you get out of this? Um, music is a good one. Catching up with family is a good one. Um, but it's hard. It's really, really hard to get them out of baseball, but also find something productive where they can turn their minds off. That's why I'm never like, hey, don't play video games. I, a lot of mental skills coaches are like, don't do that. That's bad for you. And I'm like, if you're escaping and talking with friends and it's genuinely making you happy and you're not overdoing it, do it. If it's making you happy and you can check out a baseball, do it. Because they don't have time to go golf. They don't have mm. time to go, like you said, you, would you rather them play video games for two hours or go to a bar for two hours? Like, yeah. what's, what's, what's our, and so it's, it's incredibly, I think that's an incredibly, difficult and controversy question because it's like what do you want them to do sit in the room and eat carrots and drink water and powerade and like watch sports center and go to bed like they'll be miserable yeah. so then isn't the, the misery going to affect other things i don't know so. i think what's interesting about it is that you know video games themselves are not a problem i mean really i mean of course people get addicted to anything in the world doesn't matter what you do yeah. you can get addicted to it I think where video games has changed so much is, is the online and the connectivity and streaming it and then using it now as a fan engagement tool as well. And yeah. you've got kids all around the world that want to play yeah. against their heroes. All of a sudden, this becomes like almost a side project. And I, I imagine it can take up a lot of time. But I think I, I probably agree with you on, on the side of escapism because if you don't, as you say, burnout's coming around the corner. Yeah. And um, last thing I just wanted to cover because we've, wow, time's really gone super fast and I expect <laughs> you've got real work to do. Um, <laughs> just really, I guess, briefly or in your, you must get asked this all the time. So I apologize, but you know, what is it? Is there anything that specifically from, from baseball that you've learned that you've used in your own personal life away from sports, away from your softball away? Is there anything that from professional sport that, you know, you've taken away or, or something that you've been able to offer advice to people outside of, of playing games? Yeah, I think it, I think one of the biggest takeaways for me is, I guess it's two-parter. It's one, always having an open mind and always be willing to continue to evolve and to continue to grow. Meaning like we're, we're all really good at something. We're all experts in something or eventually we will be. And once you become an expert, don't be afraid to like continue learning and don't be afraid to like be like, oh, like, yes, I'm an expert, but I still don't know a whole lot about what it is that I'm doing. And it's like, it's okay. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to have an open mind, go into things with, uh, with fresh lens, look at it, decide like, don't, don't make up your mind before you even try it, right? Listen to it, have an open mind and always be willing to grow. I, th I think that's the biggest separator with guys who are really good is they're always looking for the ways, the next best way to get better. Um, and simultaneously, they're also rejoicing in the things that they do really well, instead of just always being their biggest critic and trying to find ways to get better. They're also able to be their biggest fan. So some combination of all three of those things. I like that. And that's, um, that's quite a nice way to sign off everyone. Always try and get better. Hannah, thanks so much. Um, I appreciate yeah. you taking time out in your day. Uh, it's, it's the middle of the working day for you. It's about two, almost coming up for two o'clock your time. Um, but thanks so much. And um, I hope we can catch up again in the future. Maybe let's catch up at the end of next baseball season and see how things are going for you. Yeah, hopefully it'll be a normal season. But thanks for yeah. having me. I had a great time, great conversation.
Okay. All right, Hannah. Thanks very much. Um, next week, guys, I can't remember who we've got as a guest. Um, I've got about four or five on the go, but um, I hope you tune in anyway. And uh, it's been nice talking to you all. See you next time. <laughs>